Hello, and welcome to another episode of Practically Political. I'm Dave Spencer. And I'm Carrie Sheffield. Let's get to it, Dave. Okay, what do you think is the end game for Putin and Ukraine? Now that we, the United States, we're going to be sending more tanks to Germany uh, and Germany sending tanks as well. It seems like this could really escalate into a potential nuclear war. What do you think is the best solution? And then what do you think is the most realistic, likely solution? Well, I think the uh, nuclear war thing is a little hyperbolic. I think sending sending some upgraded tanks is not going to do it. And, and, and I, I think that, uh, you know, Putin, like a lot of these people, he... he, he uh, he uh, may be uh, unpredictable, but he's not, and he may be uh, tone deaf, but he's not suicidal. So I, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. But to answer your question, I, I think the you know no one really knows what the end game is. I think Putin's strategy obviously is to wear down the West and hope that the alliance will break. And unfortunately, uh, listening to some of the new members of the Republican Congress, uh, if they had their way, he would he would get his wish. But we'll talk about that in a moment. But but the way I see it, I mean, what I would like to see, frankly, I would like to see some uh, territory like Crimea that Putin already has threatened. I think that would bring him to the negotiating table because then you could you can say he can say in his mind, not only am I maybe not only going to gain any territory, but I may be losing territory. And that's something that my citizens will not tolerate. So I think that would be a way to get into the negotiating table. But other than that, I hate to say it, I wish I were optimistic, but we're approaching, uh, we just hit the 11 month anniversary of the war. I don't see it ending anytime soon. And I think that it's very important more now than ever that the West keeps up their uh, very important solidarity here because I heard Matt Gates say, oh, there is no way I will ever vote for another dollar of money for Ukraine. And, you know, my response to that is, well, Matt, you know, that's pretty short-sighted because, again, let's just put aside Ukraine. Let's be pragmatic here. If Putin succeeds, what's that going to do to our NATO budget if we have to start defending the Baltics? What kind of signal is that going to send to President Xi Jinping, and Xi Jinping in China about invading Taiwan. I think it's really short-sighted. So uh, what, are, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I think what you said is, is true, that he's really trying to drag the West out and have this basically be a war of attrition. Uh, I, I was thinking of it's sort of almost like Afghanistan, but in the reverse, that instead of the occupying force being basically bled dry. It, it's the the, the force that wants to occupy just wearing the target down. Um, and we might have a similar situation uh, that it could end in the same way that uh, instead of the Taliban taking over, you have the Russians taking over Ukraine. And I think that that's really, it's really sad. Um, and yeah, I, I think the resolve of the West, it's, it's interesting. I've heard the argument that uh, by supporting the Ukrainians, we're actually uh, preventing American deaths from, you know, we're not sending our own troops over there to do it. And the, we're basically outsourcing our defense against Russia um, by what we're doing. And it's a lower cost for us um, that it, it would make sense. So I, I, I hear that argument and I obviously want the Ukrainians to be successful. My brother is in the U.S. Army. He's a captain. 
And last year I helped him with a, a fundraiser and a medical supply drive um, out of Maryland. And nice. he ended up getting a medal um, from the U.S. Army for it. So I'm happy to say I helped support him for that. Uh, we packed, it's called, it was called pack a truck and we packed the whole truck, the truck full of medical supplies. But, um, you know, I, I think it's, uh, I, and I, I know you and I disagree about this, that I think it could have been preventable if Biden had not been so weak and if the West, Germany uh, and other countries had not been so weak when it came to energy policy and also just seeing the weakness of the Afghanistan withdrawal. Uh, I think that that a bully um, wants to take advantage of weakness. And I think that's what happened here. Um, yeah, I think the, the the Crimea thing is interesting. And obviously, it's important to note that it's not it's not Putin's territory to be taken uh, to, to feel a sense of loss. It was never his territory. Um, and it's the rightful Ukrainians. No, I, I, I absolutely agree. Uh, but though I would definitely push back. I mean, first of all, um, there's two issues. Uh, what led Putin to launch the war uh, and how is uh, how has it been handled since then? I think even a lot of people, a lot of the, you know, your fellow MAGA people would admit that, uh, at least acknowledge begrudgingly that Biden's done a pretty good job of holding together the alliance. See, I think it's the opposite. I think the reason Putin attacked was he didn't have to when Donald Trump was president because Donald Trump was on his way to dismantling NATO. Okay, yes, he was. He said he openly spoke against NATO he couldn't stand the alliance. He hated our alliance-based foreign policy. So Putin didn't have to attack because his, his goal was already being achieved. So, you know, perhaps we will agree to disagree on that one. But I think there is, I'd also like at least some acknowledgement that, you know, when you have these, huh, I would say, um, politely misinformed members of the new Republican majority in the House, like Matt Gates, saying they're never going to give another dollar. Can you please please at least publicly acknowledge what is how short-sighted that that view is well i think he's calling out the hypocrisy of the fact that our our border has not the month of december saw a quarter million illegal immigrants that's that has most, nothing to do yeah. wanna, you're, you're, you're no, it, is. it, it does in the sense that it seems that joe biden is so much more occupied with protecting foreign borders than our no, own borders no, no. so that's no, a big no. i've heard matt gates say that so i think it's important for you to acknowledge that um, and I also think that the, uh, uh, you know, the question of um, Putin and Trump, we're even learning even more now, just recently, how much the Russians wanted Hillary to win because they knew what they were getting from her. They knew uh, how weak she was. She was the one, don't you remember, who had that reset button uh, and, and Putin walked all over the, 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 the um, Crimea invasion happened under Obama and it happened under the regime that Hillary Clinton helped set up uh, of weakness against Russia. So I'm not I, buying I, that at all. And the fact of the matter is that um, it was Trump under Trump. There was no invasion. And he even said, if you if you there didn't have to be an invasion. Remember, Carrie, well, we, we, we've been also, through that. Hey, remember, we're not talking over each other. As far as the NATO is concerned, the NATO secretary general thanked Trump repeatedly for what he did to rebuild NATO because NATO was just a joke. Nobody was actually doing their GDT spend except the United States and I think maybe one other country. And it was it was President Donald Trump who finally held these countries to the fire and they started to pony up what they were supposed to contractually under the treaty do. May I, may I, there's the, again, you're conflating two different issues here. The, there's the issue of NATO not 
NATO members not paying their fair share. And I have acknowledged, okay, I give Trump credit where in the few areas where I think he did a good job and he did help get people to pay more for NATO. But that does, that's totally separate from the fact that he was on his way to, his goal was to disband the alliance. And there has been uh, a lot of uh, evidence of that, not just in his actions, but in terms of what he said is what he's wanted done. And the second thing you brought up was you tried to conflate immigration. I don't know what any immigration has anything to do with what Matt Gates said, but I've said this before and I'll say this again. One of Barack Obama's most unheralded achievements was the border. When, he, when Barack Obama left office, border crossings were at a 50-year low. Donald Trump created a crisis. Joe Biden admittedly has made it a lot worse. The problem is what Donald Trump did was he killed, he went after both good immigration and bad immigration. Our problem in this country is that we're, our back door is too open and our front door is too closed. Can we agree on that? We let people in too easily uh, illegally, but we don't let enough people in legally. We could have solved this labor crisis, this job shortage that we've had, that we have if we had a sensible immigra- immigration policy very easily. Okay. You know, you know? So, 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 so we agree on that, but you still haven't answered my question. Okay. So will you please acknowledge what a short-sighted and frankly ignorant thing it is for Matt Gates to say that he never wants to give another dollar to, uh, support Ukraine. It's okay. Every once in a while, you can, you can criticize one of your fellow MAGA people. It's not, it's okay. So can you please acknowledge what a short-sighted statement that was? I can't see, I haven't seen the full context. Is he saying, I won't get, I won't vote for another dollar. He's saying, I'll never vote to give another dollar for any kind of support to Ukraine. That's, that's what he said. Because we haven't closed our border, I mean that's no, that, and, that's and, not. And it doesn't I, matter. I also want our border has nothing to do with it. Our border has nothing to do with it. I'm trying to respond to what you said oh, first okay. about immigration. Uh, I will have you remind you that uh, the Trump administration tried to reform our immigration system to make it be merit based, and the left howled. They called him racist. They called him xenophobic. And all he was trying to do is exactly what you said, make the the back door more closed and the front door more open. That's what he was trying to do. He was trying to make it more merit-based. That's how most of Europe actually is. And Canada is far more that way. You have a a point system. Here in the US, it's called chain migration. If you have a a living, breathing human being who will sponsor you, you're in. It's not rational, it's not economically sound. Also, the truth of the matter is, when it comes to NATO, Trump was, uh, he was saying, why have NATO if you're not going to actually uh, uh, honor it? It's like saying oh. your wedding vows, but then you cheat all the time. So yeah, why not just get divorced? Well, That's what but, he's saying. NATO means nothing unless people actually do what the vows say that, they're, that you're going to do. I, That's what he's saying. He didn't try to destroy it. He made it stronger. I mean, again, if you, you that that is a statement which is not supported by, I don't think by fact, and it's not supported by 99% uh, or maybe 95% of uh, people that really take a look at this issue. So we'll, we'll agree to disagree on that one. But the bottom line is immigration has nothing to do. You don't say, well, I'm not going to support Ukraine because there's too many people coming across the southern border. I mean, uh, so the, the bottom line is it doesn't matter what Matt Gates's reason was for saying it. It was an ignorant thing. And if, if we do it, and just again, just imagine 
If Putin succeeds, he controls the breadbasket of Europe. She has a green light in Taiwan. And then we have to worry about what's next, the Baltic states? And what do you think that's going to do? You want to save money? Spend it now. I promise you, you're going to, you're going to save, you're going to have it a lot more, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll be, you'll be making it much more, uh, spending it much more judiciously. But, but my question for you is, it now appears like Mike Pence has had some classified documents found in, in his residence. You know, obviously that follows the former President Trump and Joe Biden. And it really brings up a lot of questions. You know, uh, first of all, what should be classified? What shouldn't be? I've heard we've classified almost a billion documents or something ridiculous. And so I guess I just want to get your thoughts on, you know, where should the line be on classified documents? And, uh, you know, some of the uh, MAGA crowd has tried to get, you know, Nikki Haley had this false equivalency where she tried to say that what Donald Trump and Joe Biden did were the same thing, where they couldn't be more opposite. So I just love to get your your thoughts on the whole process and the whole chain of events. Well, I, I agree that it is not the same because Donald Trump had the right as the president to declassify and Joe Biden as the vice president did not. So what Joe <laughs> Biden did was much worse. That's the, that's then, the, only, that's the only difference, huh? I'm trying to answer your question, my friend. Uh, and then Mike Pence, as I understand it, what they found was basically a travel log and some briefing materials for a trip he was taking. Uh, for me, I travel light. I tend to not take documents from wherever I'm at just because I don't want to deal Agreed. with the mess and I like digital. I think some of this is a generational thing. Like yes. why have so many documents to begin with? Why kill so many trees? I don't I'm like documents. You. I, I don't even have a printer in my house. I, I I go somewhere off site if I need to print something. So I think that will solve a lot of these problems is just a, a more lean digital approach to things uh, at the end of the day. Well, and again, uh, but the, you know the, the main the main difference between uh, Joe Biden is that he's he has cooperated. He actually had the FBI come and search his place. The difference uh, Donald Trump uh, refused. And by the way, you can't just like, you, you can't just classify things posthumously to, to partially misuse a word there. Uh, you, you, you can't say after, you know, after you're out of the office, well, I, I classify that, I classify this. The main difference is that Donald Trump was asked repeatedly to return the documents. He didn't. He said that, that then they, they'd all been returned. They weren't. They asked him, and they finally had to go and retrieve the documents. That's the difference. Uh, Joe Biden has cooperated the whole time. Now, Again, being totally fair, that does not excuse. It was very careless what Joe Biden has done, and you don't you don't store documents in the garage by your Corvette. Okay, so believe me, Joe Biden is not innocent on this. But the difference is that, as in so many cases, he he cooperated, and if it weren't for that god awful press secretary guy, Miss Jen Psaki. You know, at least, uh, you know, I, press secretaries, at least they should be good at their job. And Green John, John Pierre has got to be the worst press secretary in, in, the, in the history of, of, of the White House. So I think a lot of it gets muddled, but it was mainly just uh, that, that, was, that was the main difference. But I think the main question is, we should ask, you know, why are we classifying all this stuff? You know, I mean, the president's itinerary is classified. Okay, after he's had that day, it doesn't need to be classified. You know, why are we classifying all these documents? 
Well, I, I don't have that power, but I, I generally agree with you that the more government power you give, the more likely there are going to be problems and trip ups. So yeah, shrink the size of government. I think we can agree on that. Um, now my turn. Yes. Um, so, okay. Recent polling uh, showed that 78% of Americans say that immediately at conception, the father with a pregnant mother is financially responsible for a child in utero. Additionally, 69% said that when a man gets a woman pregnant, is he already a father with responsibilities to both the mother and the child? Um, so with that backdrop, do you think that fathers should be required to pay child support for their unborn children? Well, I don't think, uh, I, you know, this is a very interesting, it's a very interesting, I think, first of all, I want to be honest, and I think deadbeat dads are one of the most inexcusable things in this country. And I frankly know a lot of them. And what makes me most pain to say this, I know a lot of them that can afford it. Okay, it's one thing if you're destitute, but if you have money and you're not supporting someone just because, oh, she, I don't think she should have had the kid or, you know, for, or I just want to punish her or whatever, I think that's inexcusable. So there's no, there's no excuse for, for having a uh, deadbeat dad, but they call it child support, okay? They don't call it fetus support. So no, I do not think that a father should offer support to a child when they're still in the womb. I think once the child is born, then absolutely. Again, that's why we have different terms, Carrie. A fetus is not a child. And that's where you and I disagree on the choice issue, is I think, because I don't view it so much uh, from the same way you do, I think that at a certain point, the rights of a woman trump the rights of a fetus. When you get to a certain point of viability, and there's some debate of when that is, I'd say typically 20 to 22 weeks, then it is a child. And yes, I think things are different. But I also want to say one of the things that I can't stand is this BS about how Democrats support abortion until birth. That is not true. Democrats support doctors being able to make a decision. And by the way, this is a decision that should be made between a doctor and a woman. Congress has no business legislating medicine, whether it's that so-called partial abortion ban, which is a misnomer anyway, uh, and I can go on down the list, okay? It's between a woman and her doctor. I don't know a single woman who wants to have a late-term abortion. It's a very traumatic thing. So for the record, this thing about supporting abortion until birth is BS. But to answer your question, no, I believe in child support, not fetus support. Well, your, the word fetus in Latin comes from the root for young one. Um, and, and the thing is, no one's given me an actual answer to this question. What is a fetus then? What is the genus and species of a human fetus? Uh, uh, there's there's no other scientific definition, but it's a homo sapien. That's the genus and the species of a fetus is a small young one. That's the Latin derivation. It means young one. Um, it's a young child. It's a young human being. And I think it's unfortunate now that you are against the vast majority of Americans. 78% say that, yes, the father should provide for the child in utero. So I guess you don't want to support pregnant women. I think that's unfortunate. No, I, I actually, I, I think that I think that if a, if a, uh, if a, and again, I don't know what the polls are. I haven't seen them, but I'm just saying is that is that when is that when a woman has a child, first of all, that's that is when most of the expenses start. 
So we're, we're really splitting hairs about how much money is really required for so-called fetal support. But again, I, as I said, I, I have deadbeat dads are terrible. And I think that, uh, that there should be a crackdown on them. I mean, uh, but I, I, I think that until a child is born, because frankly, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. There, there could be problems with the pregnancy. Who knows? But yes, I think that uh, morally, I think that yes, husbands should support people because these are typically women they know they've gotten pregnant, but I don't think there should be a law. I thought, I think that was your question. Uh, yes, I think morally, yeah. morally, people should support someone who's pregnant because this is your child too. But legally, I think it should only happen after the, after the child is born. So, you know, so, there you're splitting hairs because you uh, tell me no, that the actually, reason I'm, I support I, no. I am pro-life is because of my morals. And here you are saying you want to put your morals out there, but you don't want to actually apply the morals. I think that that's unfortunate. It's a double standard. If something's immoral, it is immoral. And, and the law should reflect that. You know, I think that um, the child is a child. Um, and, you know, 72 uh, percent, according to the, the Goatmacher Institute, 72% of mothers say the reason uh, they they don't want to have the baby is because they can't support the child financially. And the, the fact of the matter is that is a huge problem when it comes to saving the human life, that it's coming down to dollars and cents. And if the father's not there to help provide for their child, I think they should be held accountable. And, and there was a bill introduced uh, in both the House and the Senate last year that would require the, the father to pay unborn child support and retroactively if they didn't do it in real time to pay to back pay for that. So and there's a lot of medical I mean, medical care rides, uh, prenatal checkups, um, food. I mean, it's you have to have a whole new wardrobe for maternity ward. I mean, the expenses definitely add up. Um, and I think that even more than that, I do agree with you. It is a moral thing, but I think it's a legal thing, too, because we have it for for children outside the womb and Children inside the womb deserve the same protection. Uh, their children inside the womb is a misno is a misnomer. Okay, we have the terms fetus, infant, and child for a reason because they are different stages of development. So, uh, of human you're you're the one who's splitting hairs on the definition. Uh, but anyway, well, inter interesting topic. I think again, once again, we will pleasantly agree to disagree. My question for you is it. You know, one quarter, and this is an amazing stat, one quarter, more than one quarter of our entire $31.4 trillion debt was, was accumulated during the Trump administration. Yet Democrats voted three times to raise the debt ceiling because they realized we may not approve of all this spending. We may have disagreements, but the way to have these debates is not to hold the uh, full faith and credit of the United States, as well as people, people's 401ks hostage. But sure enough, we're hearing more and more noise from this Congress that they are going to try to hold the American economy and as well as the stock market, people's 401ks and God knows what, uh, hostage to raising the death limit. And what I guess what bothers me so much is that you know, it's 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 almost like if you if you go out and have go on a, a spending binge on your credit card and you bounce the payment check, that's pretty dumb. This is money that you've already spent. So if you want to deal with your spending habits, don't bounce the credit 
don't bounce your credit card check and ruin your credit. Talk about what you're not going to spend in the future. So can, I hope that you're not on board with this MAGA crowd and using the debt, the debt uh, limit as, as a hostage. But how do you feel about this? Well, as far as Trump, uh, it was a pox on both houses in terms of the binge spending. And I, I asked the Treasury Department of Trump on air multiple times, why are you spending so much? You're spending way too much. This is excessive. And I actually think this is going to be a vulnerability if uh, DeSantis, for example, uh, in the primary against Trump, um, he'll say, look, I I tried to keep Florida open and you wanted to shut Florida down. And not only did you do that, you ballooned our debt and you ballooned our spending in an overreaction and overreach to COVID. Um, because that's when, let's be honest, that's when this spending happened under Trump. It was because of COVID. And that was tax both cut, Democrats and Republicans. Tax cut also, so that's, be honest. Tax cut as well. Well, that, that's paid for itself with the increase in oh, revenues. No, but the, the spending, um, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're now concerned about 401ks and, um, and the stock market because the last two years of the Biden administration, you were all on board with the infrastructure and a lot of the uh, so-called Build Back Better initiatives and this massive spending bill that just passed a few weeks ago. That is what's been driving inflation that's and that's what's good. been destroying our stock market. That's what's been making the Fed overcorrect by hiking the interest rates so high. So I think if Democrats wanted to be on any sort of moral high ground against the excess of the Trump administration spending, they should have done it in these last two years and they didn't. So and and yes, I think the the congressional Republicans should have tried to do more. Um, they didn't really have as much leverage, but um, certainly they could have done more. And the, the the fact is something has to give here as far as the interest payments on our debt, um, our debt to GDP ratio is now in its World War II levels. It's not sustainable. We don't have any more runway um, to, to keep pretending like it's an emergency. We can't keep living in a state of crisis. So yeah, the debt ceiling is is a, kicking it forward down the road. Uh, it's a crisis. I just never hear, and, and I've actually been shocked to hear there have been a couple moderate Democrats who want to start talking about fiscal responsibility. And I applaud that. I think that's great. Um, I just think they're streaming, swimming up against uh, upstream here um, and that, you know, their colleagues aren't going to be supportive of that. Um, yeah, I, I think there's got to be a way that you can have a deal. I know that McCarthy is supposed to come up to the White House and they're going to talk about, um, you know, what, what needs to happen. So I think there's still time. Uh, Treasury's doing the extraordinary measures. So I think there's a lot of histrionics around what's actually the timeline here. So, but I also think that this moment you can, you should use whatever negotiation you can. So Democrats should have used that then during the Trump administration then. The, and the, 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 the three times they voted to raise the ceiling because you gave me a hell of a speech, but you haven't really answered the question. So then Democrats were bad they they should have done the same thing during the Trump administration then. I, yeah, absolutely. I think they should have asked questions about the spending for sure. Yeah, I, I think the um, look, I used to work at Moody's Investor Service. I used to rate bonds and the team down the hall was the sovereign bond team. They kept the AAA rating S&P downgraded during the Obama years because in part because of the debt ceiling um, situation. I, I think in some ways it's a chicken or egg thing. The debt ceiling is a symptom of a bigger spending problem. You're right about that. Um, but the fact of the matter is we never stop. We never, the punch bowl is always there. 
Um, and I wish there was some way to actually have accountability around, there should be some sort of triggers of cuts the closer you get to the debt ceiling so that yes, you won't, you will never reach the debt ceiling, but you will have the automated cuts. I think that's actually the, the solution that would be uh, the best. Well, a couple of things. First of all, I think the fact that Congress should vote on the, the votes on the debt ceiling is ridiculous anyway, because you vote before you spend, you don't vote about whether you're going to bounce the payment check. Okay. So that, that is really a very incredibly stupid thing. So let's put that aside. Secondly, I want to correct something. You said I was supporting of Biden and his spending. No, what I have said is I wish that they hadn't passed the American Rescue Plan, which just handed out a lot of money. And instead, I wish they would have passed Build Back Better because Build Back Better actually spends money instead of just giving it to people on things that would really help the economy, like childcare, like pre-K, things like that. So if Biden had been smart, he would have introduced Build Back Better first. And I, then I don't think we would have had the inflation problem. And I think you would have had a much better return to the workforce because people would have had more child care. They would have had uh, more, more care at home. So I just want to clarify that. But getting back to the debt ceiling, you know, all I can say is this. You know, people always, and first of all, I want to say one thing. If you go back and you look at the amount of national debt that was created, it is so much more of it has been created under Republican presidents. I mean, think about it, right? Reagan was the first president that got us living beyond our means. We never used to run a deficit uh, unless it was wartime. Then Clinton came in and the budget was balanced. Part of that was working with Congress and Newt. Uh, I will admit it was a team effort. Then Bush came in, blew it out again. Okay, then Obama came in, lowest increase in government spending since the Eisenhower administration during Obama's first term. He got the deficit down from 1.4 trillion to 400 billion. Trump came in, blew it out again. So if you look at where uh, this, uh, the percentage of this national debt, the overwhelming percentage of it has come from Republican presidents, okay? That is a fact, okay? So it's very hypocritical to me that they are the ones who, these Republican congressmen who have enabled this are the ones that are now saying, oh, we have to, uh, we have to hold the economy hostage. Here's my suggestion, all right? You wanna start negotiating? You make an announcement, you list, what are you gonna cut, right? Because this is, this is, they had this thing where they were asking these, these MAGA people, all right, oh, we have to cut spending. It's terrible, we have to get rid of all the spending. Okay, what do you wanna cut? Oh, okay. Well, foreign aid. Oh, okay. That's one half of 1%. What else? Uh, what about Social Security and Medicare? No, we can't cut that. What about some welfare? Oh, can't cut that. So again, they rail against spending in the abstract, but when it comes to actually coming through. So let's have Kevin McCarthy and his loony bin of Marjorie Taylor Greene and all these wonderful people that he's given power to, which is going to make this the most ineffectual Congress. And remember, I said it here before. Whatever you think of Nancy Pelosi, you are going to appreciate her because she know how to. She had a spine, and she know how she know how to run things. This is going to be a loony bin the next two years. Nothing's going to get done except investigations. And I would say the only chance that Republicans or the Democrats have of holding the Senate, because we'll talk about this in a future show, but the Senate map for Democrats in twenty four is ugly. I mean, 
really ugly. It's, I think it's 23 to 11 is the number of seats. But more than that, all the re- Democratic seats from Joe, Montana, Joe Manchin in West Virginia to John Tester in Montana to Sherrod Brown in Ohio, all these state uh, seats in red states are up where I don't think the Republicans have to defend really a, a seriously competitive seat. The only chance that the Democrats have of keeping the Senate is just like because of what Republicans did to help them keep the Senate this time, the House is going to get out of control. No legislation is going to get passed. They're going to push us to the brink on the death limit, uh, on the debt limit, and there's going to be all these investigations. I mean, if, if Kevin McCarthy really thinks the American people want to talk about Hunter Biden's laptop, as I've said before, good luck. That's not what we want. People want governance. And I think if the 2022 election proved one thing to Republicans, that is, if you are considered good and competent at governance, then people will tolerate the other stuff. I mean, look at DeSantis, look at Brian Kemp, right, in Georgia. Look at Mike DeWine in Ohio. I mean, these people won by double digits, right, or almost double digits in some cases. So it, 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 was, the, it was the loonies, the people that focused on the cultured war, culture wars, or the people that were just spectacularly unqualified, you know, the Herschel Walkers. Now, those are the people that lost. Your thoughts? You packed a lot in there, my friend. <laughs> uh, we can. I, I like your plan about making a line item of items to cut, and yeah. I think that there you'd actually hear a lot of things from Republicans. Things like um, so for Social Security, there are there should be cutoffs, and it, like whether you're a very very wealthy senior or a very poor senior, the government doesn't care. They don't treat you any differently in terms of getting mm-hmm. that check. And I think there should be some means testing. I think they should. Um, totally change the age uh, limit at which it starts. I think for right. Medicaid um, and some of these welfare programs, they're getting into middle class programs. And if you if you add up all these benefits um, for families, there's a reason why we have so many people not working. It's because it's actually more generous to not work. That is a big problem. And that's right. some of the cuts that we can do uh, to make it more sustainable for people who actually need the safety net, the, the most vulnerable among us. Um, I was on Medicaid when I was in college uh, because I got bitten by a dog and I had to get rabies shots and I couldn't afford it out of pocket. But Medicaid covered the bill for me because I was under 19. It was, thank God, right before I turned 19. But um, and my parents were on welfare uh, when I was younger, you know, at least one point. Um, but and I am now paying a lot more back into the system um, because I have the mentality that it is a temporary, it should be a safety net, but unfortunately it's become a lifestyle for a lot of people at the vast encouragement of the Democrats who are more interested in keeping people trapped instead of giving them a springboard to intergenerational wealth creation and property ownership. They'd rather have them poor and dependent on the government. I think that's an easy case to go through and and, um, find some ways that we can restructure the programs for that. Um, As far as uh, all the other things you're talking about with the the House Republicans, I think part of why, yeah, I, I disagree with the things, some of the things that Marjorie Taylor Greene says or Matt Gates or uh, some of these folks. But the, the fact of the matter is they don't have to be as well spoken as you or I might want um, to know that there is something viscerally wrong with the status quo when it comes to spending. And unfortunately, the more you know, genteel and well-spoken Republicans have, have very genteelly driven America off a cliff. 
So yeah, if there's someone who's more crass and says things that are off the wall or I disagree with or too extreme, but they're understanding that the country is basically in need of an intervention, let's have that intervention. Because to date, the more mainstream, uh, dare I say Rockefeller Republicans, they haven't been able to stop our country from going into record $30 trillion of debt. Well, again, and, and by the way, this is a fact. You can look, you know, as Casey Stengel said, you can look it up. Re the Republicans are far more, have created far more of the national debt than Democrats. Can you please acknowledge that? Because it's a fact. I'm talking about, I'm talking no, about no, right no, now. No, no, no. I'm talking can about you, these houses. Can you I just give me a yes or no question, please? Because it, th this is, you know, I'd like to have you acknowledge that. I, as okay. I said at the very beginning, that's what I literally just said. The mainstream Republicans, the, there's a reason the Trump base despises the Bush family, because the Bush family did exactly what you said, my friend, that, no, but, that Bush did not live up to his principles. He he was reckless when it came to spending. He was reckless on a number but of Trump things. So, was yeah, the most reckless of all. Trump was the most reckless of all. That, I mean, it, I mean that so that's, what, that's where that argument falls okay. apart. Trump was more well, reckless. Well, that's than, where COVID comes into play. But it, that's where COVID, COVID comes into play, and that's where, like I said, he's he's vulnerable to DeSantis on that front, and uh, we'll see. Yeah, so we'll we'll we will uh, we'll see. But again, I think that uh, I, I would love to see Kevin McCarthy put forward a list of what exactly he thinks should be cut, because again, this is a Republican, mostly Republican caused problem, and I would like to see what what they what they want to cut, because I think it's. Uh, the problem is it's very hard to, to find the fat. But, uh, well, another great, great uh, exchange. Always a pleasure, Carrie. And uh, thank you so much to everyone for tuning in. We will see you next time on Practically Political. I'm Dave Spencer. And I'm Carrie Sheffield. We will catch you next time. Yeah.